Hello, everybody, and welcome back in to the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, of course, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA, what's going down there. We'll be talking about March Madness and what's happening there. We'll be talking about the NFL and what's happening there. And we'll have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And also, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports for all your breaking news and updates. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We are back. The Justin Time Sports Podcast is back. Um, we took a couple of weeks off. Obviously, we're a little slow. We're taking some time when it's not the NFL season, guys. Um, you know, a lot of your big time hosts do it. I did it. Hey, it is what happens. But I'm thankful that you guys are back in the fray. I'm thankful that I am back in with you. I could not be happier to be back. I am over the moon excited. And let's absolutely do this. We're going to jump right into the NBA. Of course, this is probably, what, the second to last standing update I'm going to give. Um... Because we're going to go roll right into the NBA standings. We're going to start out east. We're going to go with the Heat. The Celtics are number two. Bucks are third. 76ers are fourth. Bulls are fifth. And Raptors hold the sixth and final automatic playoff spot. As you guys remember, seven through ten, you play in the play-in tournament. In this play-in tournament, you are not guaranteed a playoff spot. You must, well, play your way in to the playoffs um it was brought on for the bubble due to the shortened season it took about 10 games off for the bubble year teams played about 72 games instead of 82 um it took a little over 10 off and then also remember the bubble had what they call the warm-up games so you play games that didn't count it was really weird they had like two three games were kind of warm-up games and then you play the six games to kind of finish the season off to get to 72 they had to get to 72 for or 70 um because of the tv contract 70 games the lowest you can go without losing money and so they played 70 games it took about 12 games off so in order to make up for the difference they instituted the play-in tournament which means seven through ten you'd play in uh play a win so seven seed eight seed would play uh and nine and ten seed would play in the first round the winner of seven and eight gets the seven seed so it does not matter if that playing game doesn't pass the seven seed in record the seven seed would be the winner of the seven seed in the ac game now it does not put the eight seed out the eight seed would play or, the, or not put the team who lost out the team who lost would play the winner of the nine seed and the ten seed the nine and the ten seed winner of course like i just said gets the opportunity to play the loser of the seven ac matchup so now the loser of the 9-10, you're out. You have to win both your games. And then the loser of the 7-8 versus the winner of the 9-10, the winner of that matchup gets the 8 seed. So let's say you're a 7 seed like the, for instance, out east right now, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs are 7 and the Nets are 10. In theory, 
the Cavs could end up out and the Nets could end up the eight seed. Because if the Cavs lose to, as it is right now, the Hawks, which is very possible, and then Brooklyn comes into your building, because they beat the Hornets, Brooklyn comes into your building, beats you, the Cavs can go from the seven seed, which would be playing the two seed, which is right now is the Celtics in the first round, to wait on the draft lottery. And, and going from one of their most successful seasons of, since LeBron James' departure, still not making the playoffs. Um, because they had a bad couple games, or really got a bad matchup. I mean, lose to the Hawks, which is realistic. Trey Young can kill you. Or, like I said, Brooklyn does what Brooklyn does with KD and Kyrie. They both hang 35 on you. You get blown out the building and out the playoffs, effectively. Um, so, it's a very interesting twist. Many people thought they would abandon it, thought it was a one-time bubble thing because of the shortening of the season. But apparently, due to the reduction of tanking, they are going to continue to institute it. Uh, it feels like it's a permanent thing. I like it. But I think there should be qualifiers. I'm going to finish the standings before I go down this path. Um, to round out the East, there's the Cavs, like I just said, at 7. The Hawks are at 8. The Charlotte Hornets are at 9. And the Brooklyn Nets are at 10. And then out West, uh, number one overall seed in the entire playoffs is the Phoenix Suns. So they will have home court throughout. So they will play four out of seven games in every series they play at home. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are at number two, which is mightily impressive considering John Morant has missed 22 games this season. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are at three. Uh, equally as impressive, they survived no Draymond. Now they're surviving no Steph. Um, Dallas Mavericks are at four. Denver Nuggets are at five. Very impressive considering they have survived with no Jamal Murray all season and no Michael Porter Jr. for 75% of the season. Utah Jazz are at six. Minnesota Timberwolves are at seven. So the Minnesota Timberwolves hold the highest play-in spot currently. The Los Angeles Clippers have been doing this without Kawhi all season and without Paul George for three months. They're at eight. The New Orleans Pelicans, after starting out 1-12 and 3-16, and and are now the ninth seed without Zion Williamson all season. And the San Antonio Spurs are at 10, equally as impressive because they don't have a star. I mean, I guess DeJounte Murray, but kind of, they have an all-star. And DeJounte Murray, I wouldn't have called DeJounte Murray a star. So they don't have a star, definitely have a superstar, and they're the 10th seed. And, of course, everyone's favorite band of disappointment, the Los Angeles Lakers, who we'll talk about, of course, shortly, um, is sitting at number 11. And the only reason I'm mentioning them instead of mentioning the 11th in the uh, East, which is currently the New York Knicks, I believe, is because the Lakers are the only team not in a, holding a playing spot to be able to make the play-in. There's about four games left, um, and we'll discuss the Lakers' ramifications in a minute. But what I was discussing with the play-in earlier was I like the play-in tournament. I love the play-in tournament. Because right now, there's 21 teams with four games left fighting for a playoff spot. Two years ago, or say three years ago, Brooklyn would have no chance of getting in the playoffs. Um, pretty much the Hornets would be out as well. So you may get the Hornets to be able to sneak in based on math, but realistically, the Hornets would be out. Out West, the Spurs would have no chance. They'd be three and a half back or four left. Basically, no chance. The uh, Pelicans would be three back, basically, with four left. Basically, no chance. So, those teams would have to make business decisions with the last three, four games of the year. Now, they're looking at, oh, man, we just got to get to the play and healthy, win two games. You know, if you look at the Nets, Hornets, Pelicans, Spurs, win two games in a row, we're in the playoffs. And uh, and then, you know, once they always, what do college coaches say, NBA coaches say, football coaches say, coaches in general. Coaches with a, with a the playoff system. Get us in the playoffs and let's see what happens. Get us in the tournament. Get us in the postseason play. And let's put our put, put our eggs in the basket. 
put our um put, let's put it on the table let's just see what we can do if we can get in that tournament um so i love it because now two-thirds of the league literally until the playoffs start are competing um and a little over two-thirds of the league like i said the lakers are the 21st team technically and they're fighting too um so that's two over two-thirds of the league with four games left in an 82 game season are still competing for a playoff spot thanks to the playing tournament two-thirds of the league every single year regardless are going to be competing for a playoff spot i absolutely love it I just think there should be ramifications to it. I think there should be um, guidelines and restrictions. The Timberwolves are like five games clear of everybody. They are ten games. I mean, there's they're they're about eight games clear, I believe, of the of the Spurs and the eight seed. And what's happening with them is it's it's a little bit tragic because they're in a position where they can work all year to have this amazing record and fall out. For instance, the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently 11 and a half games in front of the San Antonio Spurs. There are six games clear of the eight seed Clippers. If you go to the East, the East is a little tighter. So the Cavs are only two and a half above the Nets. So the Cavs at seven on two and a half above the Nets at 10. But if, like I said, I'm, and so it's a little different out there. Um, but out West, you know, the Timberwolves are 11 and a half clear of the 10 seed. The Timberwolves have a bad half week and they're watching the playoffs. And the Spurs have a great half week and they're in the playoffs 12 games worse than the team that they put out. You know what I'm saying? So I think it should be guidelines. Like if you have such a sizable lead, whether it be five games, six games, whatever, you are, um, ineligible for the play-in if I get by the turn like you can't you you get your seat so like the Timberwolves right now for me would get their seat they would be seven then I would just give the Clippers the automatic buy to the second round of the tournament so the Timberwolves I'd have a rule you have to be five games clear of your next seed in order to have this rule or something, or something like that but the Timberwolves will qualify for that they would automatically have the seven seed they earned it so then the Clippers would get the first round of the buy like I just said the Pelicans and the Spurs, as it sits right now, would play play each other. They'd play for the right to challenge the Clippers automatically for the eight seed. Don't punish the Timberwolves. Because I said the Timberwolves have a bad half week, and they could be staring up at a Pelicans who they're 10 and a half clear of right now, or a Spurs who are 11 and a half clear of right now, staring up at them, going, How the hell did we play better for them for five months? And because they had a bad half week, we're not in the playoffs. Luckily, through the bubble uh, and through the playing, the existence of the playing tournament, we haven't had a scenario like that. But I remember people clamoring for it about a month ago, saying the Timberwolves are 10 games clear or 14 games clear of these teams, and they're going to have to play them in the playing. Now, more than likely, the Timberwolves beat down the Clippers in the first playing game, and they get the 17 anyway. But what happens if the Timberwolves don't beat the Clippers? Say the Clippers beat the Timberwolves. Now the Clippers are the 17, and the Timberwolves are playing... A red hot somebody, uh, whether that be New Orleans or San Antonio, you're playing somebody with the confidence in the world, having just defeated an opponent. You're playing them, and now all the pressure in the world on you. You were 10, 12 games clear of this team. You just lost your side at seven. You know, you lose this game, you're going home, and this amazing, great year that. I'm sure fans and teachers and I mean, I'd say fans and coaches and et cetera were touting this great year. 
is all for naught because you're watching the playoffs because you lost back by playing games. So I said, I think that if you're five, six games clear of somebody, you should not have to five, six games clear of the next seed. You shouldn't have to deal with the playing tournament because there's way, way more risk than reward uh, for a team in your position. You can just simply give the second best person a buy and they all everyone competes for eighth instead of having a possibility at seventh. Um, but that's my two cents on the playing tournament. But let's talk about some of the interesting headlines and teams. Um, the biggest headline, of course, is the Los Angeles Lakers. You are staring at a team that consists of Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Not only not making the playoffs, they have a very, very legitimate chance of not making the play-in tournament. Because uh, as it sits right now, the San Antonio Spurs' magic number to make it is two. The New Orleans Pelicans' magic number to make it is one. Um, the, they cannot catch the Clippers. They cannot catch the Timberwolves. The only reason why the Timberwolves do not have a little symbol by their name is because they can because they can make the actual playoffs and not have to worry about the play-in tournament and send Denver into the play-in. But they can they cannot catch the Nuggets. They can't they cannot catch the Clippers. Rather, they cannot catch the uh, Timberwolves. So what the Lakers are trying to do is either catch the New Orleans Pelicans or catch the San Antonio Spurs. With about four games remaining, the magic number for the Pelicans is one, and the magic number for the Spurs is two. Now, this magic number means the number to clinch. So any combination of someone losses plus wins equals the magic number. So if the Pelicans win one of their last four, they're in the playing tournament. If the San Antonio Spurs win two of their last four, they're in the playing tournament, and the Los Angeles Lakers will be watching. Um, two losses from the Lakers eliminates... Um, Will virtually eliminates the Lakers as well. So they're going to have to go reasonably. They're going to have to go undefeated. If not 3-1. I just I just don't see a scenario where um, the Spurs only win one game and allow the Lakers into the playoffs. That does not feel like something that's rationally possible. As a LeBron fan, do I want it possible? Absolutely. As a Pelican fan, no, I don't. Because my allegiances will be split. Um, you guys know I'm a huge LeBron fan. Um, been that way since so I started watching pro basketball. And then you know, I'm a Pelicans fan. Home team, root for the home team. If they in the playing tournament together and they're 9 and 10, obviously one of them can't go. Um, so the odds of the Spurs, like I said, now the Spurs, here's the crazy part. Both teams have hard schedules coming down the stretch. Neither team has cakewalks. It's not a situation where the Spurs is playing Houston's and Oklahoma City's, and the Spurs and the and Lakers are playing Phoenix and Milwaukee and Brooklyn or whatever. They're both playing really hard schedules. Both have Denver. Both have four legitimate opponents. In theory, they both could go 0-4, but that would put the Spurs in with a two-game lead. Could I see the Spurs going 1-3? Absolutely. But a 1-3 would force the Lakers to go 3-1. I believe in order to get the spot. So, if if you are a Lakers, you're hoping the Spurs go 0 and 4. That way, in theory, Lakers, you go 400, you 500, you still get in the playoffs. Magic Johnson was on. He did his ESPN tour today. Revealed a lot about the Lakers. Um, some of the, I mean, you know, this Lakers organization. He's still advising Jeannie Buss. He's not officially on the payroll, but he is advising Jeannie Buss. Phil Jackson is still advising Jeannie Buss as well. Uh, but Magic Johnson let, let out a couple of things, a couple of big things about roster construction and plans for next season that I want to touch on. The first thing he mentioned, roster construction. He mentioned that 
the Lakers, that DeMar DeRozan was coming home. And DeMar DeRozan alluded to this on Shannon Shaw's podcast. He, DeMar DeRozan said, though I'm going to refer to DeMar now, DeMar DeRozan's a lot to say at one time. DeMar said on Shannon Sharp's podcast, uh, Club Shay Shay, that he was going, he said, I'm, I was thought I was going home. He, straight up, he was like, I thought I was going to be a Laker. Because Shannon asked him, this was like right when DeMar was hitting, when in that MVP stretch, that people tried to push him MVP. Um, he was on Club Shay Shay, and Shannon asked him straight up, like, what happened? Why aren't you a Laker, basically? And DeMar was like, I don't know what happened. Basically, I thought I had a deal in place. I thought I was going to the Lakers. Next thing I know, I'm not going. Um, and so, if you remember, if you hear, remember, similarly, Kyle Kuzma said, "We, I thought I was going to the Kings. Like, pretty much, I thought the deal was in place where I was going to the Kings. In the words of Kyle Kuzma, he thought he was going to Sacramento. He thought, done deal. I'm going to Sacramento. Magic Johnson kind of tied both stories together because what Magic said was DeMar was going home. The home was the Lakers. He was going to be a Laker. And then the deal gets nixed because LeBron decides he wants Russell Westbrook. Now, this kind of ties into a previous story that came out saying that was a confirmed dinner at LeBron's house. It was LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. I assume it was over wine and cigars and basketball. Wine and cigars, great food, and basketball was the topic of the conversation. During that dinner, Brody, the Brody energy came out. Brody, which is Russell Westbrook, the Brody, has an amazing aura and amazing energy. I will never discredit Russell Westbrook for that. His energy and aura is amazing. Him and LeBron connected I'm going to assume better than DeMar and LeBron because that that's that's the quintessential. AD is going to follow LeBron. If LeBron says we're going to go down this mountain or call this mountain to get a championship, AD's behind him. You know what I'm saying? AD's going to follow LeBron. So Magic said that LeBron and Russ had a conversation and then the DeMar deal got nixed. I'm assuming that conversation either happened over the phone or happened at the dinner that everyone's reported and, not, and talked about and known about. So, like I said, that Brody just came out. Think about it. Russ has a wife. AD single. LeBron has a wife. Russ has kids, specifically boys. LeBron's got boys. He's got Zuri too, but I'm saying LeBron has boys. AD is a single man with no kids. So the connection. Now I think Demar has a child as well. Demar. I mean, I don't know a lot about Demar's personal life, but Russ Russ's personal life has been in the media lately. So that's why I'm commenting on it now. Um. Well, I'm using it as a reference point now. I don't know about a lot about Demar's personal life. It's not out, so I don't I don't go looking. Not my business. But because Russell Westbrook and his wife um, has volunteered family information, I'm going to use said family information in this conversation. Um, so that connected. I'm going to assume. I'm just looking for outside looking in. I have no idea. I've, I'm going to assume that connected with LeBron on a different level because LeBron is not only about basketball. He's about fit. He's about personality fit. I mean, as I'm just being honest, now he's the ultimate elixir. He's the ultimate smoother. But at the same time, if the personalities don't fit, LeBron's got nothing for you. That's why usually he gets rid of young guys because they don't know. That's why he ships young players out because they don't know. He keeps one, maybe two. But for the most part, he dumped Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love. Because Andrew Wiggins was basically a rookie. 
you don't know the grind. You don't know what I'm looking for. You don't. You haven't gone through scars, built up calluses for the playoffs and for the finals runs we're gonna make. You are not ready. When the heat, when he got to the heat, everybody moved out because he got guys that had built playoff calluses, had all stars, had been through battles, had tough, had lost, you know, had won in D Wade's case. He goes to the Lakers. What is the first thing he does? Ships all the young guys out. Well, not the first thing he does. He plays that year, has the growing injury. Ships all the youth out and brings in Anthony Davis, a guy who's been an all-star, all-NBA, defensive player of the year, candidate, um, built scalluses, lost in the playoffs, built calluses, lost in the playoffs, had scars, etc. It's the LeBron James move. Russell Westbrook has gone through that. He's built the calluses. He's played in the finals. He's built the scars. And he's got unparalleled energy. And he has, like I said, the family, the family situation to connect with a LeBron James. AD doesn't care. AD's following LeBron. LeBron, like I said, LeBron says we're going to climb Mount Everest and win the championship. AD's picking out the Sherpa. You know, like, he's going to follow LeBron. And that was a mistake. Because Magic continues to go on by saying they would have had DeMar DeRozan, right? They would have got him for free, free agency. Then you would have turned around and they said, he said, we would have kept KCP. We would have kept Alex Caruso, two of the better defenders, and two shooters. And two guys to get their own buckets. What does this Lakers problem have now? Nobody plays defense. Really nobody can get their own bucket. Malik Monk can get his own shot. Melo can kind of get his own shot. AD can get his own. Russ can get his own. Braun get his own. That's five out of what? Twelve? You don't really have all five of them very often. And you damn sure don't have all five of them on the court. So you're pretty much LeBron dependent for eight or nine people. That's a hard life. Uh, Caruso, you know, would have been on the team according to Magic. KCP would have been on the team according to Magic. Think about it. You still would have had Kendrick Nunn. Not Kendrick Nunn. You still would have had um, Anthony Davis, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James. Now you, not THT would have still been on the roster. But now instead of THT being effective as a sixth man, he's like an eighth man. You know, he's back what he was. He's just a scorer off the bench. He don't have to worry about anything else because Caruso's on that second night unit with them. Or they time like a veteran point guard to run that second unit. Maybe Rondo comes back and runs that second unit. Now you don't have to worry about, you know, THC trying to play, man. He can just go score. Anywho, the so Magic says also, he said, think about it. If you just trade Kuzma, Kuzma and something else, maybe not KCP Crusoe, but Kuzma and something for Buddy Heal, you're in the Western Conference Finals. He, I mean, I mean, in my head, you're being modest. You win the chip. If you have LeBron James, think about your sign on up for LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Buddy Hill probably starts. Anthony Davis, insert five here. You're probably winning the chip. Because that, that lineup has shooting, it has ball handling, it has spacing, it has defense. LeBron can play Magic Johnson style point guard, get 11 assists a game. That's a very, very good team. Also, Magic Johnson pointed out that the team was probably going to run it back with Russell Westbrook next year because the Lakers don't want to attach a first round pick to move Russ. Um,. And without that first round pick attached, no one's going to take on Russell Westbrook's very large salary. I believe it's 40, and then 44 to 50 million dollars next year. No one's going to want to take on Russell Westbrook's salary. So that handcuffs the Lakers and forces them to retain Russ, basically. You can't, you can't move him. He's stuck there. Um, and so that puts the Lakers in a bind because you basically, to me, have to shred all your vets out and either hope to bring in a fourth, a fourth guy who's like a B-level star, or you get a bunch of role players in there. 
um, Malik Monk, I think, is a quintessential signing. I think you find a way to dump Kendrick Nunn. You keep Malik Monk. You keep Carmelo Anthony. You keep Austin Reeves, obviously. And the Avery Bradley, the Trevor Ariza, the Dwight Howard. Well, keep Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard's playing well. But the Avery Bradley, the Trevor Ariza, those guys got to go. They got to be younger versions of themselves. College basketball puts out so many guys a year. Three and D guys are a plenty, especially in the G League. I see them all the time. They got to get younger versions of themselves because those guys are useless to you uh, defensively and mobility-wise. So, and they're not making their shots. Avery Bradley's got to go. Got to get younger. Um, one proposal I have heard in regards to the Lakers is the fact that you talk to LeBron and you say, hey, look, we want to keep you, okay? We want you to be a Laker for the rest of your career. But we got to move Anthony Davis and Russ Westbrook to be successful. We're going to get younger. We're going to get faster. If you don't want to go through that process, because we're still trying to win with you, if you don't want to go through that process, that's fine. We can look for a partner for you, and you can move on with your career. I mean, at a certain point, you've got to lay down the law. Um, I know how LeBron's organizations work. He is the law. But it's gotten to the point now where his way has gotten you Russell Westbrook instead of DeMar DeRozan and Buddy Hill. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Russell Westbrook over DeMar DeRozan and Buddy Hill, according to Magic, KCP, and Alex Caruso. That is a fatal mistake. That's a thirty. That's a thirty-one and forty-seven mistake instead of a potentially forty-seven and thirty-one mistake. Um, that's a that's a massive error in judgment by LeBron, um, and it and it cost him a playoff opportunity this season. Speaking of another team that is massively underperforming, the Brooklyn Nets are currently the ten seed in the play-in. Um, wasted a game by Kevin Durant going for fifty-five because Kyrie Irving decided to miss thirty shots, and. Or 20 shots, rather. A very large amount of shots uh, Kyrie Irving missed. And it basically condemned the Nets into having to do the double win. So if you get, if you get to 8, you know you only got to win one game. By them being 10, you're definitely going to have to win two games. And it makes life a lot... Um, it makes life a lot harder for the Brooklyn Nets to win. Because, again, you have to win them both. Um, now, it's a little easier you know, that Kyrie's eligible to play every single game, but Kyrie seems to be wearing down and now having to play every single game. Um, showing up once a week, maybe once every week and a half. You had the freshest legs by far in the gym. You gave everybody a lot of minutes, gave everybody a lot of buckets, and you were gone for another week and a half. Now you're playing the every other night. Now you're playing the four and five. Now you're playing, you know, the NBA schedule, and Kyrie seems to be wearing down physically. Um, it's not overly shocking. Nothing prepares you like for playing a sport like playing that sport, but he seems to be wearing down uh, physically and um, mentally on the court at times. Just struggling with his shot, struggling with things we see Kyrie do a hundred times. Just seem to be struggling with that right now. Um, pre-game warmups are amazing though. That finger bounce dribble thing is actually insane. Um, but they are struggling a lot. The MVP race is heating up. It's the battle of the seven-footers. You've got Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets. You've got Joel Embiid from the Philadelphia 76ers. And you've got Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks. This race is very unique because I don't recall in my lifetime, especially my viewing remembrance, that the battle was all bigs. There was, I mean, it's not even a wing. It's definitely not a guard. These are all legitimate bigs. Nikola Jokic is seven feet. Joel Embiid, seven foot two. Uh, Giannis has the Kumbo with 11. These are all legitimate bigs, uh, all with very legitimate claims at uh, winning 
or at winning the league MVP. Uh, Nikola Jokic has the advanced metrics claim. His advanced numbers are through the roof. Um, Joel Embiid potentially has the stat argument. He has very, very good numbers, potentially lead the league in scoring, and he's still playing great defense. And, you know, and lastly, but certainly not least, Giannis has the advantage of just being a dominant force and a two-way level play, legitimate two-way player with an eye test to boot. So this is a very interesting MVP race. Um, right now, I had to put money on it. I honestly would put it on, honestly, right the second. I'm putting it on not Embiid. Uh, either the Denver Nuggets, um, Nikola Jokic, or Milwaukee Bucks, Shantan Chazakumbo would get it in my opinion. But right now, I would put it on not um, I put on not Joel Embiid. James Harden getting there kind of hurt his chances a little bit. I don't think he seems to understand that the way he's talking to national media. But James Harden's arrival seems to have hurt any requests he makes uh, towards a uh, championship. And of course, the New Orleans Pelicans are absolutely on fire. They're not absolutely on fire. They're 31 to 27 since the All Star break. Which, again, considering how they started, is absolutely amazing. Like I said, they're one and twelve or three and sixteen, and it is absolutely amazing what they have done. And to round out, the Memphis Grizzlies going twenty and two without John Moran is probably the single most impressive thing I've seen in the NBA in a while. Um, twenty and two without a top four point guard is incredibly impressive, um, and I hope that. That the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies organization, the city of Memphis, um, really latch on and appreciate not only John Moran, but they appreciate the rest of the team, the Dylan Brookses, the Stephen Adams of the world, and that they appreciate the head coach. But up next, I am going to be shifting into a crazy, and I do mean absolutely crazy, March Madness on the men and the women's side because the women have crowned their champion and the men will crown theirs tonight. Welcome back into the show, and now we are going to talk about the NCAA March Madness Tournament, men and women, and of course, due to that, we are going to start off with a humongous congratulations to the South Carolina female Gamecocks as they won their second national championship last night in a pretty dominating win. Um, over Connecticut, uh, Gina Oriyama's UConn squad. Um, lots of history in this game happening. For uh, South Carolina, a lot of storylines for them coming to the season. Don Staley won in 2017. After that, she's been kind of, she's been disappointing in the tournament. Now, for disappointing for her is making a Final Four and losing. You get what I'm saying? But they haven't won another title since 2017. Um, famously, last year, Aaliyah Boston had the tip-in shot right at the rim and it rims out. So they had the meme of her crying, uh, running around. She referenced that last night after she won uh, with her happy tears and a smile. She said, made this a meme and smiled. Um, 
Don Staley was coming in looking to do something nobody's ever done. Uh, she became the first collegiate head coach, African-American collegiate head coach, man or woman, to win multiple national championships. Uh, I think a guy that Kevin Ollie has won um, is the one I can think of the most recent one. Kevin Ollie, who was at Connecticut, um, won a title. I believe mean, it was at Connecticut. No, one or two. Connecticut. And won the national championship and then was unfortunately fired a couple years later when he couldn't string success back again. Um, but Don Staley does that. She Don Staley hands your Gina Oriyama his first loss in a national title game. Gina Oriyama has been coaching 37 years, um, pretty much at mo mostly at UConn, uh, if not entirely at UConn, and that was his first loss in a title game. Going into that game, he was 11 and 0. Um, South Carolina completes the most dominant year of rebounding I have ever, and I do mean ever seen in my life. Um, it was absolutely dominant. They had a rebound offensive rebound rate of 46%. So, um, they had a rebound rate of 46%, meaning 46% of the misses that they got were off. They re rebounded them offensively. That's an insane number. And you saw it last night in the title game. Um, Aaliyah Boston completed one of the greatest seasons ever. Um, most outstanding player in the tournament. Um, 30 double-doubles this season. Uh, this is the AP National Player of the Year. Absolutely dominant uh, her season. Um, it, was, it was a physical mismatch from the word go. South Carolina did not play particularly well offensively. That did not matter because they gathered seven. At one point, pretty late into the first quarter, if not early second quarter, the South Carolina Gamecocks had more offensive rebounds than Connecticut had points. It was just a very physical game for South Carolina. Gina Oriyama, they asked him, you know, what do you got to do, et cetera. He said, we got to rebound. He said, we, we can't coming into this game. We were let back into the game because we rebounded. Now we're not rebounding. Um, and so they continue to not rebound for a vast majority of the game. South Carolina did what they do best. Excellent guard defense um, because the combination of the UConn three guards um, were was about 30 points-ish, maybe even 40 points between the three guards. They scored 14, or they scored 20. AZ Foot scored three. Um, the other guard, whose name was Casey right now, had three. And then Page had 14. So they had 17, 20 points amongst the three of them. It was an absolute just destruction. It was it was a, it was a tour de force. That was a tour de force from Don Staley and her crew because they were announcing that there's a new uh, queen on the block and it's South Carolina UConn moving off the block. Now UConn will be back. They have Paige Beckett obviously into the season. AD Fudd got a first year of experience under her belt. So she'll be back ready to roll next season. UConn will figure it out. They always do. Um, but it was very cool to see Don Staley win that national championship, especially with players like Asia Wilson and Candace Parker and et cetera in the crowd showing their love to South Carolina during, especially Asia Wilson being a South Carolina alum, um, during and after the game, showing their love like Aaliyah Boston and Candace Parker sharing that moment that they did um, on the court and into the bleachers. But now we're going to shift to the men's Final Four, which is going down tonight in new orleans um 8 20 central time i believe it is one c kansas against eight c north carolina after north carolina pulled off 
one of the more impressive victories ever. Um, they had an opportunity, of course, Kansas. Let's talk about Kansas. Kansas dominated um, Villanova from the word go. It, it was clear that Villanova was missing their injured player. Um, he popped his Achilles. Can't think of his name right now. But he popped his Achilles towards the end of their um, Final Four, uh, end of their Elite Eight game, rather. It was evident he wasn't there. So that's what, the same thing with UConn for their with the women's side, they lost the, the, one of their bigs in their Final Four game, and she broke her wrist. And the way that South Carolina was able to do them on the glass came in part because they didn't have um, they didn't have the third big. South Carolina, uh, conversely, on the men's side, the Kansas Jayhawks defense was able to really focus on two guards because of, so three legitimate guards. There's two. So, with that being the case, Kansas was able to lock down. Um, they had a monster in the middle who had a monster game. Um, he was able to control the game pretty much by himself for the vast majority of the contest. And then that put a lot of uh, pressure on the guards for Villanova, and they just weren't able to uh, overcome it. But shifting to their game to end all games. And for Coach K, that was literally... Um, that was the hundredth meeting between Coach K and North Carolina. Uh, that was the final time North Carolina and Duke would ever play um, with Coach K at the helm. That was the borderline revenge game for Duke because, if you recall, during Coach K's last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, they played guess who? North Carolina, and North Carolina beat them uh, in Cameron Indoor in post game. Coach K gave his speech to the crowd, etc., and repeatedly stated the refrain, it was unacceptable for how Duke played and lost against North Carolina, especially in that game. Um, so the Dolphins, they got their revenge, their cosmic revenge, uh, all those months later, uh, six or a few weeks later, six weeks later, and North Carolina was able to defeat them again, um, this time in New Orleans for the Final Four. It was the fourth or fifth time if a uh, new head coach has gotten to the national championship game, it was an amazing send-off for us Carolina fans. That's happened like in Carolina since Tyler Hansborough and Ty Lawson. It was an amazing stand-up send-off for those guys. Um, for Coach K, in our opinion, you got beat because national championship game. That was the first um, meeting between the two schools in postseason NCAA tournament play. Considering the history of those two schools, it's very hard to believe that that loss by Duke and Coach K brings their win-loss record against each other 50 and 50. So they end up perfectly 500. Absolutely great game, all-time level game. Caleb Love made some big shots. Paolo Bancaro made some big shots. Um, Baycott, center for the North Carolina, turns his ankle. It almost hits the floor. He decided to come back in. He had a couple of big plays. Uh, Brady Manick for UNC had a couple of big plays. I mean, there is so much talent on this UNC team. And I was watching pregame uh, before the game, before the Final Fours games. And I believe it was Jay Williams said that Duke has the best player in the country, Paolo Bencaro, best player in the tournament. Carolina has the best five, which means it's the best starting five in the tournament is the North Carolina Tar Heels. And it's just like, what a battle. And Kansas had the best chemistry, I believe. Absolutely, what an amazing battle between Duke and North Carolina. The crowd was into it. There was threes raining from all over the place. 
Um, it was just an absolutely beautiful thing to see. And I'm glad it ended the way it ended as a Carolina fan here at heart. So, what is going on tonight? Tonight is Kansas versus North Carolina. Tonight is a guy in Baycott who's a little gimpy, who may not be able to sustain to what the guy, the big from Kansas, whose name escapes me, I apologize, the big from Kansas' ability to offensive rebound and to play physical around the rim. Baycott's going to have to come ready for that. I imagine that uh, Coach Hubert Davis is going to have multiple game plans centered around uh, Baycott either being fouled out or in trouble foul-wise. So I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that. Uh, Kansas is on a mission themselves. Bill Self said it um, during the offseason why we're going to get back to Kansas winning championships or why can't Kansas win championships. It's nothing along the nations of championships. So that's what he's looking for. And Hubert Davis trying to effectively um, – he's trying to effectively alter the Roy Williams era and to, effect, and to efficiently get out from under it as well. Um, so absolutely great job by both team, both coaches, both have all-star level players. Um, and so that is going to be the preview for tonight. Picking a winner. I don't want to pick a winner because my head is telling me one thing. My heart's telling me another one. My head is telling me that North Carolina is going to lose. Um, that North Carolina is going to lose. However, however. My heart is telling me that I should pick North Carolina. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick North Carolina to win this game 68-62. Um, I just think Caleb Love may be a little bit too much for those Kansas guards. I also think that Brady Manning, having the size he has and having the shooting ability he has, is going to cause that Kansas team a little bit um, to bite off more than they can chew. I think that Hubert Davis and that crew is on a mission. That they've got to prove that, you know, he and just Roy Williams lackey. They can actually produce and coach at a high level. And therefore, I am going to pick Carolina to win this basketball game. Like I said, 68 to 62. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we are going to talk about the NFL and what's happening there. The biggest news to come out of the NFL the last few days is that Devontae Parker of the Miami Dolphins has been traded to the New England Patriots along with a fifth-round pick in this year's draft for a 2023, so next year's draft, third-round pick. This was huge for a multitude of ways. As previously reported by a lot of people, including myself, the New England Patriots were eyeing several receivers early in the draft. Now, why? Because the New England Patriots don't have any receivers. Um, I'm a Patriots fan. I am a Patriots fan. I'm totally a Patriots fan. I'm excited about that. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. We just have a massive trade. Wow. Hold on. Huge draft pick trade. 
the Saints have traded the 18th pick, the 101st pick, the 237th pick, a 2023 first, and a 2024 second to the Eagles for picks 16, 19, and 194 in this year's draft. Holy moly, we have a trade. I mean, the NFL doesn't quit, honestly. Um, wow. So, of course, the New Orleans Saints have moved on from the Sean Payton era. And because of this um, moving on, they are doing things differently. They're not just sitting on Sean Payton's laurels. Um, for instance, you know, of course, they had the attachment to Taysom Hill playing quarterback, or at least Sean Payton did. Dennis Allen walks in the building, gets rid of that. Um, gets rid of that rather immediately. Uh, he makes Taysom Hill a tight end, commits to Jameis Winston at quarterback. Um if you look at the um, man, if you look at other things on the defense, they're bringing back the defensive guys, prioritizing guys on offense. They're prioritizing playmakers instead of trying to scheme with Sean Payton. You know, we don't have a Sean Payton. You're gonna have to make players. So they figured, screw it. We they basically in their heads just turned 18 in the 16 and 19. So what if this could end up being Gary Wilson and Jamison Williams? Now you've got two legitimate stars. Plus Michael Thomas, you got an offense um, and a very good offensive line draft. What if they go offensive lineman and receiver? That helps you out in your offensive line because they just lost to Ron Armstead. And that could also turn around and help you out in the receiving room. Absolutely huge. Um, wow. Shakes up the entire thing. For the Eagles, for the Eagles, you pick up, you, you get the 18th pick. So you only move, you lose the first round pick, but you gain a spot. You pick up the 101st pick. You pick up a seventh round pick. Not that huge of a deal. You pick up the Saints first round pick next year. So you got another first round pick to your cash next year. Another, a second round pick in 2024. Um, absolutely huge for a young GM with a young quarterback. Keep building your cash of picks. Here's why. I think this is a big move for the Eagles. Here's why. What if Jalen Hurts doesn't work? I'm not a Jalen Hurts guy. Other people are. If Jalen Hurst does not work, guess what you have now? Two multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks, and multiple third-round picks in next year's draft to move up to get a quarterback in what is already being reported as a much better quarterback class next year than this year. Absolutely, in my opinion, a long-range move for the Philadelphia Eagles. For the, for the Saints, it was clear and it's evident. Get talent in the building now. Sacrifice the first round pick next year. It is what it is. Uh, get talent in the building right this second. Absolutely huge move. Um, at the kind of move that a guy like Sean Payton may not have okayed, but Sean Payton out the door. Jeff Ireland has a little bit more control. Mickey Lewis is a little bit more control. With Sean Payton out of the room. So they go for it and they make a move. Absolutely huge move. Wow. Um, to say the absolute least. Um, I mean, it's not bigger than Devontae Parker going to the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, just because it, it shifts New England out of the receiver business, in my opinion, and shifts them into the linebacker safety uh, business, corner business. But huge move. Um absolutely huge move man massive um wow 
<laughs> yeah, all I can say about that is a wild move. Big move by Mickey Loomis. Uh, big move by uh, Howie Roseman and that Eagles crew. They both got what they wanted. For the Saints, you get now you get assets now. You get three picks in this draft, two firsts, and I think the 101's a third. 101's an early fourth. And then um, for the Eagles, you add a pick later in the cash shed. You add a pick later in the cash, plus you add in two picks. You add in a 2023 first and a 2024 second. Uh, like I said, you get the, you're get adding ammo now to make a big move later. Huge, huge move. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> it's all I can pretty much say about that one. Um, absolutely monstrous move uh, by the Saints and Eagles. Again, we're going to run through the trade details one more time. Um, the New Orleans Saints trade pick 18, 101, and 237. Pick in 2022, this year's draft, they trade 18, 101, 237, plus a 2023 first and a 2024 second. And to, to pick up to trade to the Eagles for a, the 16th, 19th, and 194th pick this year. So 194 is like a fifth rounder. If my math is correct on the top of my head, it's like a late fifth. Um, absolutely spectacular move. Huge move on both sides. Like I said, for both teams, you kind of get what you want. Eagles, you get a little more assets, maybe make a quarterback move next year. For the Saints, you get the assets to support your quarterback you're bringing back this season. Uh, like I said, if I'm the Saints, 16 and 19, feel like offensive line and receiver. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Feel like O line and receiver, um, unless it's a guy like Daxton Hill or uh, Kyle um, Kyle Hamilton for some reason falls, and you can make that move. Uh, Two thirty seven is a seventh round pick. One ninety four is a late six. Yeah, so I did, I did the math in my head correctly. Um, wow, huge move, huge move there. Um, but I'm gonna jump back into what we had ready to roll. Uh, Bruce Arians has decided to retire from coaching and move to the front office as a senior consultant. And uh, Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator, has been promoted to full-time head coach on a new five-year head coaching deal. He is the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was used for a multitude of reasons. One, there was a riff reported between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And reportedly, remember, remember okay, first, we're going reportedly. Tom Sr., when Brady, when Tom Jr. retired, said there was outside forces. Um, there was outside forces that contributed to Tom retiring. Okay? It wasn't just a pure retirement on Tom volition. It was outside forces. Those outside forces were reportedly a rift between him and Bruce Arians. That Tom Brady was not retiring from football. He was retiring from the Bucks, and and also was reported that he retired in order to make a move to try and get out of Tampa, preferably to San Francisco, but to get out of Tampa, to get away from the, from the Bucks. Bruce Arians shut that down. He said five first round picks, you can have them, right? Because time, because the Bucks own Brady's rights to life of the contract, which the last year of that contract is this year. So, first, first round picks, you can have them, right? Brady comes back. A few weeks later, Arians retires from coaching, goes in the front office. Now, from what I've been reading and from what's been reported, Bruce Arians decided to retire from coaching the day of or the day after Tom Brady announced his retirement, his unretirement back to the Bucks. Now, cynical me is thinking that was a deal that Brady said, OK, I'll come back, but you can't be here. 
Hey, that's fine. That is fine. That is okay. I have, I'll come back, but you can't be here as the coach. That was the deal. Now, what gives me credence to that being the case is that, what gives me that being the case, what gives credence to that, I'm sorry, to that being the case is that um, Bruce Arians stated that he made the decision when Brady came back because he didn't want to pass off the team a bad team. A bad team that wasn't in a position to win. He knew with Brady there, whoever got the job, Bowles or Leftwich, I guess, would have the ability to win and have a good team. That kind of feeds into the report that Brady retired from Arians and the Bucks, not Brady retired from football. So now Ty Bowles is the new head coach of the Buccaneers. Ty Bowles and Tom Brady have a great relationship. This should go off without a hitch. Bowles will stay out of the meetings that Leftwich and Brady make because that was also reported that Brady and Leftwich would work and work and work on a game plan all week and Ayers would come through and just redline the hell out of it. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. After Brady and Leftwich have worked for days on his game plan, Ayers comes through, redlines the hell out of it and pisses Brady off to the high heavens. So now when Brett Byron, Leftwich and Brady work on a game plan all week, no one's going to come through last minute. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this because Bowles going to be worried about um, his defense side of the ball. It's going to be absolutely spectacular to see how they make it work out there in Tampa Bay. Bobby Wagner has signed a five-year, $50 million deal that can be incentivized up to $65 million with the Los Angeles Rams. He's from the LA area. Reportedly, he wanted to stay in the AFC, in the NFC West, um, and he gets both of his wishes. He goes home, he gets his money, and he stays in the NFC West. Um, so the Rams continue to use their Swiss bank um, in order to... Um, continue to use their Swiss bank in order to sign players. And now Xavier Howard signed a brand new deal with the uh, Miami Dolphins. Brings his total contract to five years, $90 million. It also includes the most guaranteed money to a cornerback ever. Um, so that was what the deal he recently signed. He had a contract worth with them last season. They worked something out with a franchise tag and some other incentives and money moves. But now they lock him up uh, for the next five seasons. He's under team control. And Colin Kaepernick held a throwing session at the halftime of the Michigan um, has some of the Michigan blue yellow game, which is their spring game. Colin Kaepernick had a throwing session. NFL personnel were there, and they were allowed to watch this throwing session. Reportedly, he threw very well. Um, I've seen video of it. He threw the ball very well. A couple of misses. I think he shouldn't have missed. But again, receivers, he's not used to working with. Um, and so a couple of misses. Like I said, I feel like he shouldn't have missed. But it's at the combine. Some easy throw. You think, oh, that guy would hit. He would hit after working with that guy for six, seven months and getting on the field. It'll be like his clockwork. He missed a couple of throws, but the ball came out with pop. We see that in all the videos. His arm never looked tired, and he threw for a good bit. Um, zipped through the ball. It wasn't perfect conditions, um, so it looked good. And, of course, Jim Harbaugh is the head coach of Michigan, who was Colin Kaepernick's head coach in San Francisco. Uh, the last time Cap was a full-time starter in the league, he had Jim Harbaugh. They went to the Super Bowl together. Unfortunately, unfortunately for them, lost to the Ravens um, in the Superdome game where the lights went out. Um, so... That I guess Jim Harbaugh did Colin Kaepernick another favor and let Cap throw at this halftime, knowing any of a person that would be there. So instead of Cap leaking video or putting video out on Twitter or whatever, 
um, the John Harbaugh gave him a platform, a field, and targets in order for him to throw in front of scouts himself. Uh, it be very interesting to see if Harbaugh would ever get back in the league, let's say next year. Would he bring Cap in? Um, things of that nature. But um, that is something that we're going to keep our eye on there. Quick rundown of the QB draft this year. A lot of talk about the QB draft mentioned it earlier. Uh, saying that the Eagles are building cachet. The Eagles still hold two first-round picks this year. Now they hold two first-round picks next year. Um, and I was referring to the cash of picks the Eagles could be assuming in order to try and move up in the draft to get one of the quarterbacks next year. However, this year, I've looked through the guys' film. We'll discuss a little more in detail, but I'm going to let you guys marinate on this for right now. My five quarterbacks enlisted are Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, and Sam Howell are my top five quarterbacks. A um, couple of quick notes by each one. Willis is a cannon of an arm, and he's very mobile. He's the most, to me, that's the highest ceiling in this draft class. Um, does not have the lowest floor, which is something you tend to get. You get boom and bust. Like Lamar Jackson came out with the highest ceiling, but he also had the lowest floor. Um, he's gotten very, very close to that ceiling. Um, if not, tap the ceiling of what he could be in the NFL. Kenny Pickett, to me, is the safest pick. Um, he's the guy I think is the most pro-ready right now. A very solid arm, not the biggest, extremely accurate. Has mobility, as we've seen from the famous fake slide run. Has mobility, has swagger about him. Used to playing outside in not the greatest conditions because they played in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium. So he's used to the NFL lines. He's used to the NFL sight lines. He's used to being in not the greatest conditions. Obviously, like I said, playing in Pittsburgh as opposed to being a Southern quarterback. Matt Corral is right next to him. And the only reason why he's over Desmond Ritter is because of the level of competition and I believe coaching. Now, Desmond Ritter had a good coach. I'm not going to say, but he, has my, he had Mike Denbrock as an OC, who's now the OC at LSU. And he also had Luke Fickle as a head coach. But it's just a little different playing in the American Conference uh, when the best corners on your own team. And Sauce Gardner, as opposed to Matt Corral, who played in the SEC West specifically. So that's going against LSU. That's going against Alabama. That's going against Texas A&M. And he had coaching of Lane Kiffin. Um, so that is huge for Matt Corral to have that advantage. And Sam Howell rounds out the top five. That's the toughest SOB in the class. Um, definitely the toughest SOB in the class by far. Um, he is a physical quarterback. Um, not the greatest. He has a very, very strong arm. Not always as accurate. Production definitely dipped from junior to senior year. When he lost a lot of his weapons from his junior year, would not return his senior year, his production definitely dipped. So that is a sign that he's more of a trailer, not a truck, meaning a guy that's going to play better depending on what's around him. Not necessarily the Tom Brady. He can do more with less mold. He's a guy that's going to need what he needs. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on for that. Again, we'll break this down. We'll do a mock draft. Um, before the NFL draft, we'll do a mock draft for sure. And we'll definitely put a little bit more effort in time. We'll definitely give a little more time and notes on each one of these guys. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a discussion on WrestleMania 28, 38, my bar, WrestleMania 38.
welcome back into the show and now we're gonna talk about the most stupendous wrestlemania of all time uh the two night spectacular was amazing television um i watched both nights that was like my third wrestlemania in a row watching they pretty much made the move to peacock or wwe network i've been able to watch the wrestlemanias because paying for them individually wasn't something i was about to do um and so now they've moved to now Peacock. It's really easy now. I mean, I have Peacock subscriptions, so I had to watch WrestleManias when they happen. All the pay-per-views, really. And it was amazing, man. Uh, the show Dallas put on a great show. Not surprising. It, I mean, Jerry Jones opened his billion-dollar playpen. And, of course, they put on an absolute show. Um, headline, of course, by Roman Reigns. Unifying the uh, championship. So he's now the, the unified WWE Universal Champion. Um, hopefully he's not too injured. It looked like he's made himself a legitimate injury against Brock Lesnar, um, in a Kimura lock. His shoulder could have suffered legitimate damage. So hopefully that's not the case. A fresh they just gave him the belts. If he has to give up both belts due to injury, that would be an absolute travesty. And, and there was no way for him to really get them back. Let's keep both belts unified. And that's just a bunch of other work. Um, Bianca Belair had a great performance. Defeating Becky Lynch, that's the first time Becky Lynch has been on an active roster for the last three years and not be women's champion, either Raw or SmackDown. Um, so, monumental moment there. Um, <clears throat> Pat McAfee, my God, that is the greatest performance I've ever seen in the debut by a non-wrestler. That was amazing. Pat McAfee uh, got stunned. He did a swanton bomb he jumped from the ring to the top rope and did a superplex it was absolutely spectacular sold his hits probably a little bit too much but again that's okay because he's not a wrestler so him taking shots and going crazy and you know flailing on the ground and stuff it's okay because he's not a wrestler so they were able to tie into the he's not a wrestler thing but he did the brand proud he did punters proud he didn't feel a player's proud. That was a hell of a performance by him. Uh, he was not able to hit Vince McMahon. I think that was part of the deal. Like Vince said, you rest, but I beat you in the end. He ended up being stunned by Stone Cold. He fell for the classic trick. Stone Cold tosses you the beer. You come in the ring, drink it with him. He stuns you. Um, classic Stone Cold moment. Stone Cold stole the night both nights. Um, he went through about 23 or 24 beers. Oh, uh, night one, which, you know, he's not drinking them all. He's smashing by half of it out and guzzling half of it down his face. So you might only get two gulps out of each can. So really, he probably drunk three beers. Um, but <laughs> he went through about two cases of beer night one. Night two, he probably goes to another case and a half, at least maybe two cases in night two of his uh, Stone Cold American Lager, Broken Skull American Lager. That a missing man seemed to like it before he got stunned. Um, it was insane. The women's fatal four tag team match was amazing. Really showcased the women and the level they've gone to. Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair was great. Spectacular show. You had the Texas Southern Band playing the beginning of Bianca Belair's theme song. Um, you had the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders start WrestleMania off and do Pat McAfee's entrance. Uh, kind of an homage to his football days. Um absolutely great show i mean amazing show is just 
WrestleMania did not disappoint. Kudos to Vince McMahon. Triple H did his official retirement by putting the boots on the ground. Um, his official retirement, leaving his boots in the ring. Absolutely spectacular. Great, great show. Uh, Undertaker was able to get his moment in the sun by coming out to the crowd when they did the Hall of Fame introduction. They introduced the Hall of Fame inductees to the WrestleMania crowd. So Undertaker had his moment in the sun um, after getting arguably one of the greatest Hall of Fame speeches of all time. Um, absolutely spectacular. Could not ask for a better WrestleMania. It was insane. Um, everybody who I wanted to win one. So it was pretty good for me. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Next couple days. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the final for the National Championship game tonight. I expect it to be barn burner between Kansas and um, North Carolina. My heart's picking North Carolina. So I'm going to go with North Carolina 68-62. Um, good luck to the Tar Heels tonight. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.